Hey, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 23. Here we are at the end of August, which is something that is blowing my mind. School is starting back up again for all of my students and probably a lot of you and also your kids and people that you know. It's crazy. I can't believe it. Today's episode is featuring Celeste Shaney. Celeste is a writer, filmmaker, and marketing consultant. Her first script, The Feed, is in development with Passage Pictures and was a finalist in the Tribeca Film Institute's 2019 AT&T Untold Stories competition, as well as the Alfred P. Sloan Filmmaker Fund. Her novel, In Absence of Fear, received honorable mention at Forward's 2015 Book of the Year Awards. She wrote, produced, and directed Cradle Song, her first short film, in May of 2019. All right, you guys, here's Celeste. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary. And sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure. But we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections. But we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky. And it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Vocal Mist. Vocal Mist is an incredible tool for singers, actors, public speakers, teachers, team leaders, and anyone for whom vocal health is a daily necessity. The latest findings indicate that using a nebulizer with isotonic saline can actually help your vocal cords create sound with reduced pressure. Featuring a removable face mask and USB rechargeable lithium batteries, Vocal Mist is an accessible way of getting rid of dry mucus, alleviating allergies, and keeping your voice working easily at any time of day. Visit myvocalmist.com and use promo code ARTIFICE, that's all caps A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E, for $10 off your Vocal Mist bundle package today. I had four gigs this past weekend. I'm a singer. My voice is like so tired. So I'm not feeling all husky. Um, normally my voice sounds a little different. So it's a really close range mic. So you want it to be like right in your face. Okay. Like <laughs> this. Yeah. And if you want to put it like my philosophy with the boom stand is like get yourself where you want yourself. Yeah. And bring, bring the it mic to, you. to your face. Yeah. And then the headphones are there if you want to be able to listen. Um, is there anything you want to like ask me before we start? Uh, no. Okay. Great. I'm, yeah, I'm totally open to whatever, wherever this goes. Great. Me too. That's, that's my favorite kind of thing. I, um, I have a client who recently told me it's always a strange journey with you. <laughs> and I told him <laughs> I I'm gonna choose that. to uh, take that as a compliment. I hope he, I, was it a man. I hope yes, he it he man. meant it as a compliment. I think so. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes when you're an artist, it's like. You know, like stereotypes aside, like we we live on like that emotional edge. I think you kind of have to in order to like be prepared to like be creative all the time, which I think sometimes makes it like inherently a bit of a wild ride. Mm -hmm. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think that too. For me, it's it's about openness yeah. um, and willingness. And right. so being willing, you, you never know where it's going to lead, but I think that's when the magic happens. Totally. I was just talking about this with someone else I was interviewing, um, just about like, you know, 
training yourself to kind of like when you have that amount of openness, you you're at risk, you know, in the best way for like a flood of whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) to come in or out. Uh, Yeah. So that's amen. Um, Okay. well, let's start at the beginning. I'll do like a little introduction later where I read like your bio. Okay. Um, So I usually like to start by kind of demystifying like how creatives come to be. So I'd like to talk about like how, what you were like as a child, um, what kinds of creative stuff, if any, you were doing as a child um, before maybe it was like super organized or like goal oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For as long as I can remember, I've been a storyteller and like (laughs) one of the first things that I said was one day. So I used to always start all my stories one day. Um, And then, you know, as I got older and learned to write and read, um, I, I really leaned into that. Yeah. And I've always been a very vivid dreamer, kind of had a wild imagination. And I remember specifically one incident where, um, I always wanted to sleep in the basement and my parents said, I have two younger sisters and my parents are the oldest. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest too. I'm like sensing a similar vibe (laughs) already. (laughs) Um, my, my dad said, you can sleep in the basement, but you have to spend, you know, a full night down there. You can't come up. And I had this, you know, crazy vivid scary dream about a vampirus yeah. um, coming into my room and I was hiding under the bed and um, I told him about it the next day and it was just like a recurring dream and he said well why don't you um, write about it why don't you turn her into a character yeah and so that was like my first comic book series yeah. with this like blonde vampire woman before vampires were cool that's awesome <laughs> how old were you I think I was seven yeah. um, so I was pretty young and yeah I, I loved sor- storytelling um, from an early age. I also loved putting on plays. Yeah. So this is a s- common, I hear this a lot from people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah All s- kinds of artists. Like I was doing skits. I was doing plays. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, my sister and I, um, we, we had this club called the nature club and we were really passionate about environmentalism. And so Amazing. we would put on these plays to raise money for the tigers. We were talking about tigers. Yeah. Earlier. So yes. yeah, that was a form of play I was just, for me. My, my, I grew up when I was a kid, I had only, well, I guess still, I have one cousin who's older than me. It doesn't change when you get older, still only one cousin who's older. Um, and she, I grew up in Arizona. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up here. You grew up here. Yeah. Born in California, but came over when I was really little. Cool. Um, I was talking with my, my cousin came to visit, um, from Arizona this past Sunday and my husband was kind of like asking her, like, what did you guys do when you were little? Cause we spent a lot of time together and she was like, well, Emily always pretended to be a a white tiger. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was this white tiger that they had at the San Diego Zoo, which maybe you know, her name was Blanca. Um, we're probably like the same age. How old are you? 31. I'm 31 also. <laughs> yeah. So I we went to the San Diego Zoo when I was a kid and they had this white tiger named Blanca. So I always was like, we play pretend. I was like, I'm, Channeling I'm your Blanca. inner Blanca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. There's something like, pretty like I feel like tigers are like an animal that should shouldn't be real yeah like they seem like a fantasy animal but they are real and like especially a white tiger Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyway so you were putting on plays Yep. Putting on plays, uh, writing stories, kind Probably of assembling little books. I used reading to a lot, I imagine. Yeah. Reading a lot, um, exploring a lot. So growing up in Sandy and Draper in Utah, um, 
a lot of like wilderness in the backyard and cool. we'd go off and explore. And, um, <laughs> I also had a strange fixation with native American culture. And I think that was just the tie to the natural world yeah, yeah. and something like mystical. Yeah. And so my sister and I developed our own native tongue. Cool. <laughs> I was kind of a strange kid. Yeah. I mean, when you're a child, like, I mean, I totally feel this way. I was also kind of a mystical child and also like very dreamy and very like fantastical, but my parents were super practical and like that, like I was not given like permission nor like material with which to like follow that. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes if you're a child and you don't have parents that are like taking you to museums or like talking with you about the world, you, you get like kind of this sense that you want more and you want to explore, but like you're so limited. And then it's like, you, you make, you make with what you have. Yeah. That's so true. It's funny because my parents always said, you can be whatever you want to be. And then when I got to the age where I was deciding what to be, they were like, well, yeah, you know, like being a novelist isn't really practical. Yeah, same thing. So I went to school for journalism because I thought, okay, I can, I can write professionally and then I can write creatively on the side. And yeah. then halfway through, so, you know, we were in college probably yeah. at the same time in 2008, I was halfway through my degree. Um, the, uh, you know, like the economy, the economy tanked. Yeah. Um, there, the um, there was like the advent of blogging and social media. Yeah. Um, it was before the paywalls went up, and so publications couldn't monetize online content. Yeah, uh, journalists were vying for a job. So suddenly, like my practical choice wasn't so practical anymore. Yeah, and then I segued into. I didn't change my degree, but I segued into marketing, and so mm. it was like I was even more removed from what I initially yeah, wanted your to do. Original goal. And, and that was fun for a while, but, um, eventually I felt like my soul was slowly dying. And so I, I quit my job to write my book and let, I, let's get back to that. I'd love to talk about like when you're in like high school and you're kind of like maybe getting more serious about some things and trying to choose your major and kind of like talking with your parents about these, like, what can you and can't you do? Um, what, what was that like for you? So maybe, Maybe I want to know first, like when, cause you, it, I'm, I'm like being such a bad interviewer right now. You kind of maybe hinted that you said you wanted to be a novelist, like mm-hmm. as a child, when did that idea like solidify in your mind? Um, Before I don't, you were yeah, told I don't you know that I ever like really like meditated on that. Um, I think I, you know, I was always writing stories, so I always knew I wanted to be a storyteller in some capacity. And then Mm. it was in high school that I was approached by the journalism teacher. I didn't even know that we, my school had a paper. Yeah. And she said, I I hear you're a great writer. Good writer. Yeah. And do you want to, you know, join um, our team? And so I did that. And then I won a scholarship. Um, I was one of two journalists selected in the state of Utah. And I went to Washington, D.C. for a week. And, um, and so I think because I had, I received some recognition, I thought, yeah. oh, I can do I this. I can do this yeah. and this is still creative and I can, you know, yeah. write on the side until I can make that a full-time pursuit. Sure. Okay. I see. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to tell about? Like, I, I'm so, I, I'm a broken record. I talk about this all the time on this podcast, but I teach kids. I teach a lot of kids and I, I find, I have this experience so frequently where I have a student who's like as talented as, as anyone, you know, like 
I mean, every once in a while I get someone who's kind of like a little extra flashy. And I worry a lot about those kids because I don't find that they develop like creative resiliency when they're like a a really talented child. Mm -hmm. But I more get kind of feelings about the kids who like are, are, are pretty fine. They're just like kind of normal, but they like it. They're like really into it. And I, I watch those kids like at such a young age, put questions on their own potential um, and have thoughts as, as such young kids about like what's practical. Mm -hmm. And I hate it because like there are so many people who make a living in entertainment, who make a living in art. You have to maybe be a little scrappy, Mm -hmm. but I think sometimes when we look at adult creatives, it's easy to think you must've been a prodigy. Or you must have had tons of people in your youth telling you, like, you're destined for this. So I like to talk about, like, what are the things... And, like, I know that's not true. Yeah. You know that's not true. I like to talk about kind of the the stories behind what kind of led you to keep being creative or, like, how you cultivated creative resiliency, like, as a young person. I think it comes down to having a growth mindset over a fixed mindset. And... Yes. Um, Thanks, Carol Dweck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> people people have said to me, you know, oh, you, you don't have any fear. Like you take all of these insane risks. And I think why, I one, they don't feel like insane risks to me. I feel like they're yeah. calculated risks, right? Yeah. Um, but two, I think it's because I'm kind of taking ownership over my narrative mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. So for me, the story isn't like, oh, I went out and did this thing and had, you know, massive success. To me, it was, I went out and did this thing and I learned a lot, which led to this other thing, which, you know, then I yes. learned a lot. And so, it, you know, like I, I decided in December that I wanted to direct my first film. And so we shot it in May and, and everyone's like, well, you've never even been on a set before. Like I had been on a set for the first time in February and I was like, oh, so that's how that works. Yeah. Um, and I think, I going into it, I just knew that I was going to learn a lot yeah. all at once. And that's the experience I wanted because yeah. I felt like, oh, I'm kind of coming into this late. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny how I've had this conversation with other women. For whatever reason, growing up, I always thought, oh, I had to achieve everything I wanted to accomplish by the time I was 30. Yes. There's this weird, like, yeah. you know, clock. Uh-huh. Um, Ferti- it's a fertility clock. Yeah. And then I something. realized, you know, you, you look at, um, you know, like Martin Scorsese, like, how old is he? He's like, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, and he's still making (laughs) things. And so it's like, we have all the time in the world. And you know what? Women live longer too. I've been giving (laughs) myself this pep talk regularly as well. Yeah. Like, what is this? Because it it is. It's like, I mean, does your like age 30 thing, is that a fertility thing? Do you think? I think, so I didn't realize that it was, but I think, yeah, I think it was kind of motivated by that. Like, oh, I have to achieve all that I can by the time I'm 30, because by the time I'm 30, I'm going, I'm going to start having a family. And then once I have a family, I'm not going to be able to like, you know, climb. Can't really dig in anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I've totally felt the same way. And I, I even feel, I was telling someone the other day, like, I think part of the reason why I was like a high achieving high schooler is because I thought this is so, this is such a, like, this is such a mess, but I think probably a lot of women go through this, but I thought I need to get my college paid for so that if I get married, I can 
like defend my own right to go to college. Oh my gosh. Instead of like having to like pay for my husband's degree, which is so crappy. Yeah. I hate that that's a thought that I had as like a 14 year old. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, it's it's still thought that I had. Well, and it probably still motivated (laughs) you to like, you know, do a lot in a little time. I think a lot of women are like that. Like you said, you, you know, you, you, this feeling that your life is over when you're 30 is so <laughs> sad. It's so sad, but I think it does motivate a lot of women to like hustle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't mean hustle in a business way though, maybe also, but like hurry, mm-hmm. <laughs> just get it done, get all your milestones done, but it's not fair because you can't, you know, Yeah. you need to like let those skill sets like grow. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to say about like, so you, you, you said that people say that you're fearless. Um, I've been thinking about fear lately as well. Like, have you read Liz Gilbert's book, Big Magic? I haven't read Big Magic. Um, but I've, I've listened to, I actually, she had a um, conference around Big Magic in Napa and I thought like, Oh, Liz Gilbert in Napa. Like, yes, yes, let's do that. (laughs) Um, so I went and and had the opportunity to meet her and, and read some of the book, but, um, I think a lot of it was actually, and, you know, let me know if I'm mistaken, but I think a lot of it was kind of based off of like what Julia Cameron said in mm. the artist way. Yeah. I haven't read that. It's That's on my list. That's a fantastic Yeah. Book. Actually, I have it in my Audible wish list. Maybe I'll download it today. Um, I have, I have a gig in Wyoming on Saturday, so maybe I'll listen on my drive. Um, yeah. She talks about like having fear as like a, like letting fear stay in the room. Mm. So that's how I feel like what, you know, having her put that in words makes me be like, Oh, that's totally what I've always done. Like I definitely have fear. It's just like, hi, you're here. Great. Let's still do this thing that we need to do. Um, yeah. And I like also how you said, you know, like you don't see it as taking big risks. It's like you have all these tiny risks that maybe they don't go on a resume or something because they're, they're all these little things. Um, and then it looks like you're taking this bigger risk, but you're feeling it as like a progression of things. Yeah. I was actually reflecting on that this morning. Um, one of your prompts is, you know, like what, what advice do you have for younger artists? And, um, and this was advice that, that I took wholeheartedly, which is, you know, start now. And, um, I think that, you know, you can, you have to, there's no, at, at no point in the future is there this like massive crossroads. Like yeah. I always thought there would be this like crossroads where it was like, okay, practical or creative, Yeah. you know, and it's, you have to cut that path for yourself. Yeah. And I think you can, you can do it one of two ways. You can hack at it little by little, um, and, and slowly diverge from the path that you're already on. Yeah. Or you can just like walk straight out into the weeds. Yeah. And I don't think there's any wrong way to do it. Um, you know, a lot of people have side hustles and that's kind of their passion project yeah. and they wait for that to take off. And then that feels like a safer place, a safer way to do that. And, yeah. and I think, you know, if that works for you, then that's what you should do. Like yeah. do whatever you need to do to make art or to, you know, to become what you want to become. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, whether that is like a, you know, little by little, like writing at night, um, you yeah. know, while working, working your marketing day job like that, that's fine. At some point Mm -hmm. you might get to a place where you realize, okay, now I need to jump. I need to dig in. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So where did you go to college? The university of Utah. Okay. Um, and when, is there anything else you want to say about like choosing your major? Like, I guess maybe I'm wondering like how much were you thinking? Like I'm going to be an artist 
I'm just taking this. Yeah, I I really wasn't thinking at all because I if I I was I would have said okay creative writing or filmmaking or something like that. Yeah. For me, I chose journalism or communication, and even you know halfway through, I realized like oh maybe I should you know, switch into marketing or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what, like get through the degree, learn all you can. Um, I, it's funny. I, I have a younger sister who really stressed about like, Oh, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. And nobody knows. I mean, there are few people who know at, you know, 18 yeah. what they want to do. Yes. And so it's just like, just start. Just, that's what I tell my students too. Like when they're like, I just don't know what I want to be. I'm like, fine. You have your whole life to figure that out. Of course you don't know. It's a ridiculous pressure we put on teenagers to decide. And it'll change. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay. You know? So I think again, going back to openness and willingness and just like being willing to start. And, you know, if you have some vague sense of where you want to go, just think about, okay, well, what experiences might Mm -hmm. help me get there? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's less about education and more about experience and just saying yes and showing up. And And I have a sister who's just about to turn 18. She's like starting college. And I say to her a lot, like, just don't make decisions that close doors, like try to make decisions at this point in your life that like keep as many doors open as possible. Yeah. So if you're trying to decide between like a couple of different careers, even like pick a major that doesn't make grad school exclusive, you know, like, like pick something that's broad or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like just think in terms of like options, um, which I think I wish we would tell that kind of a thing to more young people um, instead of, you know, like young people, you know, if you major in like pre-law, you can't go to grad school for music. Right. But if you major in music, you can go to law school, mm-hmm. you know, like just, can we just kind of like think practically about like which branches can come out of which thing? Um, okay. <clears throat> when you were starting in college, did you feel like an artist? Like, did you feel like you like were an artist kind of like in your soul or like in your personality? I think, I think my hope was that I was an artist, you know, I felt definitely, I felt like sparks of artistry, um, you know, in journalism, even like laying out the newspaper. Yeah. Um, that was always really fun for me. And so visually, I think I was always drawn to that, um, that kind of work, but yeah, I didn't, I, I, it took me a really long time to actually identify as an artist. And a lot of that was, um, uncertainty. Yeah. You know, so even when I quit my job and wrote a book and published the book, people would say, you know, oh, so you're an author? And I'm, no, not really. I mean, I wrote this book, you know, or I wouldn't even identify as a writer. It took me forever to just like have the confidence to Mm -hmm. say, oh, yes, I'm a writer. Yeah. Which is funny because now I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I just made my first short. (laughs) You know, it's not even done yet. Um, But I think part of that is just being young and uncertain and needing to, you know, build your confidence. Do you think that has more to do with how you feel or how you think people are going to respond? Both. Yeah. Yeah. I had a hard time with that, too. Like, I finished my master's degree in jazz studies in Texas. And I moved here because my husband was starting grad school at the U. And, uh... I remember like having a whole lot of anxiety when I was moving here about like how to introduce myself. Like when Mm -hmm. people would say, what do you do? I remember being really like really stressed out about it. Like I have a master's degree in music, but I just moved to this brand new place. I'm not doing anything yet. 
you know, like mm-hmm. I don't have like a job lined up. Um, and I, I think for me, like a lot of that was like, I don't know, feeling like I needed to like prove something. Yeah. Um, which can be, I think really, I think that is a risk that it stops a lot of people. Yeah. Like that's enough for plenty of people to not keep trying. Absolutely. And there's some strange line too, between like proving yourself and remaining humble. And so I think part of that for me, like not, not identifying as a writer or an author for a long time, it was like kind of out of of this like humility, but like not in a good way, you know? Totally. Yeah. So it's, you need to strike that balance. I totally have something like that too. Like I think I got the message somehow as a young person that like being an artist was sort of vain. Like there was kind of like a vanity in it or like a self, like, like a self-centeredness about it, which is so stupid because art is service. You know, art is like for other people. I mean, not that it can't be for you too. Um, but like the way that we consume art as a culture, like it's, I don't know, like fame is one thing, but like just making art is certainly like a very like outward thing. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's not as, it's not as objective as another career path. And so people are always trying to like measure your artistry in your art and like quantify you as an artist. And so I think part of it too, you know, saying, not saying that I was a writer, um, is because I didn't want to invite the question. Yeah. Well, what do you write? Yeah. You know, who's your publisher? And how much do you make? Which is so interesting because like nobody would ask a lawyer how much they make. Yes. You know? Well, do you now ever feel like maybe this is like, this is so leading, but like, do you ever wish people would ask you what you make? So you could just be like, (laughs) nothing. you want this number (laughs) so that we can just like have it out there? Uh, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I think it, I think my answer would be like, not as much as you think. Yeah. Yeah. Well that now you're on like the other side. Sometimes I feel like way more than you think. Yeah. You know, like if I play like a, a wedding gig, like I know like singing, like singing in a wedding band is like, people think that that's like a very low, like very low paying kind of a thing. But like, I, I almost never make less than like $700 in a gig, which like, it's not that glamorous, but like, it's actually like four hours of actual work. Well, and it is glamorous because honestly, I mean, if you're doing what you love, you know, if, if singing is a passion and you're making money by singing like that, that is success. Being able to do what you love in whatever capacity for whatever amount of money and whatever time you have, like for me, that's success. Yeah. I think of it more like, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I feel passionate about singing. I think I feel passionate about music which maybe like that's a there's a Venn diagram there for sure um but for me I feel like I do those wedding gigs so that I can like put money into like my passion projects right. like my original <clears throat> music um but yeah I mean I think in either direction people think that some types of artists are making a ton of money when they're like it's there maybe not I was just listening to do you, do you like do you like podcasts? I do. I love like Dax Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. Do you I haven't heard that? that one. No. It's all like film people and comedians, famous people, um, and like he was just having a conversation with I think Michael Pena about like how they're not as rich as people think, 
Um, but I think it works the other way too. You know, like I know a lot of like visual artists who like make perfectly reasonable livings as much as like plenty of practical jobs. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's just like. Well, and it's interesting because it, it depends on like what, how you define your creative work and so like I have, I consult, I'm a marketing yeah. consultant and that's like where I make my money. That's where you, yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I ghostwrite, I, I ghostwrote a Ted talk, um, for a CEO and like, it's fun, creative work. It's not what I'm yeah, that's extremely how passionate about. My wedding yeah. Gigs. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, like the whole point is to feed my other art, you yeah. know what I mean? To like totally. feed that outlet and be able to make another film. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think you, you have to, I, I, I just hired a composer to work on Cradle Song, my, my short film. Cool. And he said, you know, that most of his work is, is commercial. Yeah. And that of that work, you know, he gets to exercise like maybe 15 to 20% of his own artistry and creativity. Yeah. Um, and so he likes taking on narrative work, even though it's a lot less pain, you know, it pays yeah. a lot less, um, because, he can exercise more of that creativity yeah and have more ownership over the total product yeah yeah I think that's like what we're kind of talking about right now is is critical to kind of understanding like what most artists lives are like like we do our our passion projects which like you know maybe make some money maybe sometimes they don't um maybe sometimes they launch us into fame. Um, but mostly like the way that we're doing it, I think is like, we're spreading things around, we're spreading our skill set around. Um, and I think people really like, they can't understand how like your career can be like sort of fractured in that way, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the normal yeah. for all artists. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Pre- pretty much all, or at least it has been at some point probably mm-hmm. for all artists. Okay. So you finished your degree. Um, did you have any other kind of like light bulbs, like while you were in college about like, you know, any sort of like, um, revelations about like your own creativity, your artistry, any like big, um, breakthrough moments with like how you were thinking about that stuff? Um, I would say the the biggest one was I did a study abroad in Italy and that really opened me up to, um, Oh, it sounds cliche, but a whole new world. Yeah. Um, well, finally you had that material yeah. for like that imagination that you had. And that's what it is. And it, you know, it goes, and this is what Julia Cameron says in uh, the artist's way, but it goes back to like filling your well. Yeah. And so like having as many experiences as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like writers, it, it's, it's funny, like how little time a writer might spend actually writing. Yeah. You know, like you, well, when I first quit my job in marketing, it was like, I treated it like a nine to five, which is a terrible way to look at creative yeah, work. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the times you're just like staring at a blank screen. Yes. You need um, that time. Yeah. And then you go for a walk and then you're writing as you're walking, you know, and then you go home and you're so, you know, or to a coffee shop or wherever, yeah. and they're so much more productive. And so I realized, um, during my study abroad that I really needed to fill my well and I needed yeah. to branch out and meet new people and have new experiences. And that that was really going to um, help me be, you know, more creative and, and just a better person overall. Yeah. Did you have any experiences like in kind of like those early twenties, um, that felt like, 
I mean, I don't know like a non-cliche way to ask, but like like stuff that you needed to like work through or like overcome. Um, I I think like, or or was there like baggage on like your art, your like art identity that you felt like you needed to like shed in order to be like productive kind of in the second half of the decade? Yeah, I would say a lot of it. The, what I really learned to shed was the self-doubt. I yeah. had they, I had so much doubt and it was just crippling. And like I cared so much what other people thought. Yeah. And then um, I had an experience, I think I was in my junior year of college, where I lost my best friend. Like, I mean, this is a friend that I had since I, fourth grade. And we thought we were going to be like elderly women, you know, yeah. rocking chairs side by side. Yeah. And suddenly it was just like, there was this huge fight and this big falling mm. out. And I lost like, really, I mean, this sounds weird, but like, like 20 friends all at once because yeah. of this thing that happened. And, um, I realized after that, that, um, it actually was freeing in a way mm. because I got to redefine myself and yeah. kind of start over. And, um, you know, I realized that I, I was limiting myself based on like the people that I hung out with and their perceptions of mm-hmm. me and what mm-hmm. I was capable of. Mm-hmm. And once I shed that, um, I got to choose. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of a negative thing that turned into a really positive thing. And I totally get that a hard, a hard time in my life. Yeah. Um, I actually got a dog, yeah. <laughs> which helped. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you feel like, um, are there, were there any like specific like character traits or like things that you felt like I'm going to try this on now? Um, in that moment, I'm trying to think, um, like what was that? What did that like kind of redefining mean? Or, or I totally relate to this idea of like, if the people around you, I feel like this with my family, unfortunately, but like if the people around you are, um, they just cannot see you as like, a sparkly capable person it's so hard to see yourself that way yeah like the things we do are vulnerable and exposed and like just hard like difficult enough that like it's for me anyway it's it takes everything for me to keep that like belief or like focus kind of alive in my own mind it's, it takes a lot of like effort. Yeah. And if people reflect back doubt, it's, it's too fragile. Right. I think too, you know, I love my family and they're incredibly supportive, as supportive as they can be, but there's, there's something about creative work that non-creatives just don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, only recently I I joined this, um, filmmaking co-working space and, and kind of a, a filmmaking collective and surrounding myself with these people and being really intentional mm-hmm. about these new connections and these new friendships. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's, it's amazing what's happened. There's, there's been all of this like you know, magic for lack of a better yeah. term, because the, like new collaborations, we're all lifting each other up. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly energizing. And, um, you know, I realize like, when I speak to my mother that like, she just doesn't really get it. I had my, um, and I love her and she's, you know, so supportive, but you know, she's, she's not a creative. And, um, I had my sister as a PA on my short film and it was so funny because afterwards she was like, that was legit. Like I didn't realize that you had like a whole crew and a, you know, and so it was kind of cool for her to see, like, I'm taking this very seriously. I'm not just like, you know, playing around. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
but I still, I still think there are, you know, aspects of, of the creative work that she just won't yeah. understand. And that's okay. Yeah. What do you think it is? Like, cause I totally agree with you that like not, there's something about creative work than non-creatives. Like just, it's like, you want to be like, why don't you get it? Like, yeah. What do you think it is? I mean, it probably is the fact that it, creatives even have a hard time to art, you know, articulating it. It's like more yeah. of a, a feeling. It's kind of like, um, you know, you had a question in here about networking and, and building relationships. And, um, you know how, when you meet someone and there's just this spark yeah, and it's like your intuition is saying like, this person is going to, that is going to be important. I don't yeah. know if that happens yeah. to you, but yeah. like, or like synchronicity and it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's like leaning into the whimsical and being open yeah. to it. Um, but it's hard to articulate. And so how can somebody who doesn't do it articulate it? You know, it's kind of unfair mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. expect mm -hmm. that of them. But I think it's it's more the the oscillation and the yeah. waves and or the seasons of creative work. Like it's not a constant yeah. thing. I really every day is different. You what? know, some days you're like, what am I doing? I'm terrible. And yeah. other days you're like, this I'm on fire. I'm on like fire. everything is working. Do you think there's something and if so, like what, between like, like, what is a creative? Like, what, are, what it, is there? What's the, what's the root of it? Do you have like yeah. theories or um, guesses? Well, so this goes back to it. Well, yeah, it depends. Like I, I think about um, a creative as anyone who lives artfully. I agree. Yeah. Um, there was a, do you follow Niche on Instagram? No. Oh, that's a great account. Okay. You should look that up. But um, I forget who who they were quoting, but um, maybe it was Henry Miller. He was talking about, you know, like a house or a lamp can be a work of art, but yeah. why can't a life? Yes. And so like, how do we live yeah. more artfully? And I think creatives are, um, that's what they're trying to do, yeah. you know, in their personal lives and, and obviously in their professional lives. Um, and, and so, okay, art, what is art? Like for me, art is a form of communion. You know, it's, it's a way of communing with myself, with others, mm -hmm. with the world at large. It's yeah. a way of making sense of the world. It's a way of trying to connect to others and to inspire them and to, um, you know, give them, provide a, a, a feeling, um, communicate an emotion, yeah. allow them to have an experience. So yeah, I, absolutely. I just art as communion, whatever that means yeah. to you. That's I interviewed a, a man a couple of weeks ago who teaches a class in the honors college at the U called, he's a composer and his class is called composing a community. Mm -hmm. And it's all about like thinking about like your life and like the people around you as like in the same, with the same, kind of like tenderness and care that you think about like the notes and harmonies that you put in a composition, which I, I agree with you. I think there are artists who are not in art professions and there are people in art professions who are not that artful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think you're right. It has more to do with just like looking for patterns, like explaining things, being, asking questions, you know, I think maybe like there's kind of an inherent, like, um, problem with authority maybe like is this the like do we have to do it this way like pushing boundaries a default questioning yeah. yeah innate curiosity um well, there's something about heart. that yeah I was yeah there's something about that like yearning you know there's something about that like art art ache or something mm -hmm. that you're like oh I just need to like I need to tell this story or I need to make this thing 
I wonder sometimes if other people have it and they just like, I don't know. Yeah. They suppress it. Squashed or something. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with brain pickings? No, that's another one to check out. But, um, there, there's a Debbie Millman. She's a brand strategist and an artist and she gave a commencement speech, uh, years ago. And when I was still in my marketing job, I came across it. And this is actually what like led to me writing my typing up my resignation letter. And she said, it's, it's, it starts with a lump in the throat. Yeah. And, and that is to me what it, what it is. It's yeah. just this lump in, in your throat. Um, it's this, this longing. Yeah. Um, and if you give it space and if you, if you follow it, um, I feel like it'll lead to incredible things, you know, but I think a lot of people suppress it because they're, they're told that it's not practical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or like it risks opening up something that they just like are not prepared to deal with. And I think about some of the people who I'm close with in my life who I know like have that door like shut tight. Um, and I, I, I often like just think like, what's, why is it so, why are you so like unwilling to like just peek, like mm-hmm. just like think about it? But yeah, I don't know. Cause I think, you know, there are things about that that are difficult for me, but if I'm being honest, I've always been open. Yeah. Like that's not that part. There are things about it that are difficult, but I don't know another way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it may, I do wonder sometimes like, is there something like in the personality type or in some personality types that like makes that path a little easier for some of us. Yeah. There's no answer. I just, well, that would be a fascinating study, you know, and, and vulnerability. I think it goes back to vulnerability and being okay with being vulnerable because I think art is, is, is vulnerability. Um, and I think vulnerability begets vulnerability. So if sure. you're vulnerable with someone, they're more likely to be vulnerable with you. And then you forge a much deeper, meaningful connection. Absolutely. So in my, I don't know, in my mind, it's always been worth it. But I can see how that would be scary for a lot of people. Yeah. Because then there are a lot of questions and there are a million possibilities. Yeah. You know, whereas if you put your head down and you just put one foot in front of the other, like you don't really have to think about it. Especially if it's like something that you practice. Like if you've been vulnerable and you've been kind of open since you're a child, it's like you said, it's like these little risks. They're not that big of risks because it's like, it's just like this steady like leak versus like a floodgate. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're always, if you're always a little open, it's, it maybe doesn't build up in the same way that like for someone who's never been open to suddenly like try as an adult, that could be like very risky. Yeah. That's a totally bigger risk than like the kinds of risks that it looks like we're taking. But those kinds of people are are so much more fascinating, you know? So if you think about it, like if you frame it in the sense of like, this is going to be a great story later on. Yeah. (laughs) However this goes, (laughs) maybe that's like the very mistrustful (laughs) of people that I get that feeling from. I'm like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I can trust you. (laughs) People who like I can sense are like, like that closed tight kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'd love to hear the story about like how you decided to quit your job. Um, so I was in marketing for three, four years, um, and it was going really well. And it was one of those things where I, you know, I never set out to be 
a marketer and I just found that I was good at it. And it's still, you know, it, it kind of stoked my creativity in some aspects. Um, but you know, there's only like, you can only be so creative when it comes to like selling home services yeah, yeah, (laughs) or whatever it is. People's products in general, probably. Exactly. Um, and anyway, I kind of made this career leap. I left, I was, um, I was a manager, a business development manager. And then I got this opportunity to be director of marketing for this medical tech startup. And I say medical tech startup, it's just a euphemism for, um, electronic cigarette company. Cool. (laughs) I'm not a smoker. Um, but I thought, oh, this is kind of like, uh, I guess, you know, I was like justifying it. I was like, well, this is, you know, it's like a greener alternative. Um, and this was like, as, as it was kind of taking off before it took off. Um, and so I made this leap and I was director of marketing and, and it was really fun because I got to grow my own team and I got to bring my dog to the office and it just felt like, wow, like I'm like crushing it. This is awesome. And yet like I felt so, um, guilty and ungrateful in Mm. a way because it just, I wasn't, I'm like, why, why isn't this awesome? Like, why don't I love this? Um, and I realized that I had been working on this novel kind of, um, you know, since college actually. And I hadn't, I went into my word document and I I realized that since I had taken that job, I hadn't opened it, even opened opened the document once. And, and so there were a couple things that happened. One, the novel was about mass surveillance and government conspiracy. And then Edward Snowden leaked classified NSA mm-hmm. documents. So mm-hmm. it kind of felt like, oh, this is like Timely. the right time yeah. to tell the story. And then I listened to that Debbie Millman speech and realized like, okay, if I don't act now, like I in 20 years and in five years and in three years, I'm going to look back at myself yeah. and be mad at me, you know, totally. for not for yeah. not acting. And so um, it's funny, I wasn't... Um, I had a boyfriend. I wasn't engaged as he's now my husband, but we weren't even, you know, engaged. Yeah. And I quit my job without talking to him and just came home and yeah. was like, I quit my job. I'm writing. Wow. And he was really supportive yeah. and so proud of me. And, um, and so for two years I wrote like pretty much nine to five. And that was kind of excruciating at yeah. times, honestly, because it was just, I was, it was just me and the dog. Yeah. Um, and, Finally, I got to a point where I brought in an editor and that was just like a huge sigh of relief. And that's when I realized like, okay, I love collaborating. Yeah. Um, And it's so Mm re-energizing, you know? And so, um, yeah, after, I think it was two two years after I, I quit my job, the book was published. And then three months later, I was at Sundance, um, for a creative mornings meeting. Okay. And so not even for the festival itself. Yeah. And I ended up winning this random drawing for a screening later that day. And so I had like a couple hours That's to crazy. kill. Yeah. And I was sitting at this restaurant just in the little, in, in the corner, minding my own business. And there were these two men sitting next to me and I was just about to leave when they were talking about, um, they were asking each other what kind of whiskey they should have in their Irish coffee. And I, I thought, well, you're in Park City, so high west. Yeah. That's all I said. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, what do you do? Why are you here? And I had a copy of my book on me. Yeah. And so that man, um, his name is Yuri. He's the president of Passage Pictures. He ended up, uh, he did Marjorie Prime with John Hamm and Gina Davis okay. and Tim okay. Robbins. And he wanted to option the book. I, I didn't know who he was at the yeah, time and didn't trust it. Skeptical. And yeah. so I actually kind of walked away and he called me six months later. I had just had my son. My son was two weeks old and he said, what have you been working on? And I said, well, I had a baby. So yeah, I was working I've on been that. Building this human. <laughs> just creating life. Yeah. Um, and, but I had written a short story and because it was a short story and something that I wrote in a couple of weeks versus the, the novel, which was two years of my life. Yeah. I, 
was okay with him optioning yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And so he actually hired me to write the the feature length adaptation. Wow. And they renewed the option and it's still in production and yeah. it, you know it hasn't been made yet and we haven't even gotten the funding to make it. But I learned a lot. That was another yeah. two year process yes. of just reading a lot of scripts um and and figuring it out just by, you know, drafting and redrafting yeah. and redrafting. And then um, I went to a writer's conference. Actually, it was a for novelists uh, in New York City a year ago. And I met um, a woman who is funny. I read her excerpt of her manuscript and I asked her, are you a screenwriter? Because it was just so visually compelling. Yeah. And so she and I became fast friends and, and we're actually collaborating. We're collaborating on a short and then also on a feature length comedy. Wow. Um, and so after coming back from New York, I realized I need to find my people yeah. in Utah and so I joined um, the Artist Foundry, which is that filmmakers collective, okay, cool. and just kind of started surrounding myself and with yeah. with other filmmakers and other creatives and being really intentional about that. And and so then I I, I wrote another short film and just decided um, it was actually Jim Cummings. He's a director. Okay. He did a short film that won at Sundance and then turned it into a feature length film that I think won at South by Southwest and. Cool. Um, called Thunder Road. And he, he came to speak to us at the Artist Foundry and he said, you know, like make the things that you can make now. Yeah. And so that's what I did with that's Cradle so Song. important, I think. Yeah. Okay. So Cradle Song. Okay. There's a lot of projects. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to like, okay. So the book, what's the title of the book? In Absence of Fear. Okay. I looked, I was reading, I was reading about you last <laughs> night. Um, I knew there was fear, but I couldn't remember the beginning. Sorry. That's okay. Um, and then the, the short story that you optioned, that That's hasn't called been the feed. made yet? Yeah, has not been made. That's, the feed. And yeah. is that kind of in someone else's hands now or are you still working on it? Yeah, so Passage Pictures, they have the right to to buy it, basically. Okay. They, they have the option to okay. exercise Yeah, their right to buy it and make it. Um, and that'll expire next year. And if they don't make it, then I think I'll make it. Okay. Um, but okay. we'll see. I mean, so it would be great your, if they could make your it. Your two stories. And then, and then you went to New York and met... Yeah. Who was she again? Her name's Allison. Okay. And then with Allison, sorry, just tell me again. <laughs> yeah. So, so with Allison. But with titles so I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, she and I had that very, that, that kind of spark that I mentioned yeah. earlier where it was just like this, this knowing, you yeah. know, that we had to work together and that it yeah. would be really fun. Um, and so after we came back or after, you know, we all went home from New York, um, she and I kept in touch okay. and I had this idea for a, I didn't know what it was going to be. It could have been a short or a feature or okay. a series, but basically, um, about at the time I thought it was a couple, but you know, these, the, these millennials who are disenchanted with, you know, you know, they're nine to five or whatever it yeah. is and decide to take to the road, but quickly learn that hashtag van life isn't what Instagram promises. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so we just it's thought greasy. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that would be really funny. And we decided we wanted to, it to be two women. Um, and so she and I wrote that we co-wrote that and that was okay. a really fulfilling process. And co-writing is a whole different, a whole different thing. Yeah. That's great. Okay. And what's that one called? That's called Vanish. Vanish. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got a pun. It's great. Play on words. Um, okay. I, I have like, can we, can I ask some questions about these earlier projects? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have just, I, I'm really interested in like identity, like how we identify as artists and how much of like yourself is in your art and how much like, I just, I'm curious about like how people kind of see themselves interacting with their art. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious when you were working the, the director of marketing job, 
Did you tell anyone you worked with that you were working on a novel? No. Do you like, does that feel significant to you that you didn't, that you couldn't tell? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I was, it was almost like I was in denial or didn't think they would understand or just didn't think it was important. And almost like I didn't believe in myself, you know? And so it's, it's a lot scarier and, um, a lot of writing groups, that's why writing groups exist, right? Is that like that recognition Mm -hmm. and seeing each other Mm -hmm. and identifying to one another as writers and holding each other accountable. Um, so there's like, you know, tremendous accountability that comes with saying I'm writing a novel because a bunch of people will say I'm writing a novel and then never finish it, you know? And and then if you tell people, they're going to ask you about it every time they see you, which is annoying because then you're like, or they never will ask, which is like equally (laughs) as like, Oh, you think I'm not going to do it. You know, like, or, or like from, I mean, I think I've had this experience at times too, where I am real tight lipped about the things I'm working on for the same reason, you know, there's like a weird, fear about it. And I think sometimes I just feel like, um, I'm, yeah, I'm scared of like the questions I'm scared of someone being like, you are, yeah, or like, who do you think you are? Or like, you can't do that. Or like, um, just again, like we were kind of talking before about like that reflection and like the you that you are trying to say, like, here I am, I'm, I'm writing a novel. I'm a curious person. I'm a creative person and having people be like, I don't see you that way. Yeah. It can be like destructive. Well, and it's incredible how skeptical people are of artists or creatives, you know? And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about like proving, proving yourself or like having some standard of measurement, you know, how to like people, you tell people I'm a writer. What What is that? What are you writing? Yeah. What do you write? Is usually the question that I get next. It's yeah, like, well, I write a lot of different things. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I think people and and I think too. There's, I don't know. It's it's interesting because you have like one or two interactions. One where like somebody's super skeptical and they still don't fully get it, you yeah. know. And then the other where they're like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book or yeah. I used to paint, you know. And it's almost like that inner child kind of mm-hmm. lights up in them again mm-hmm. and. And then I'm like, well, you should do it. Like, yeah. that's, I want to, I want to know about your art. Like, let's yeah. talk about that, you know? Yes. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to know, I just was curious, like, is that, like you said you weren't writing, but like, were you also just like keeping that whole thing like to yourself? It's just, I, I think know, honestly, when I was in that job, I was just trying to stay afloat. Like I, you weren't thinking I was about so it. You were just busy. young and yeah. inexperienced for what the job was that I was just trying to figure it out. And that's why I didn't open that word doc for nine months. Yeah. And then when I finally like had a moment to breathe, I realized like I'm on a totally different path than I ever imagined. And yeah. I don't think this is the right path. Yeah. That's a scary thought to have in your mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that. Um, I mean, I have. I, I don't feel it now. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, universe, for getting me through my late 20s. Um, okay. And then you totally glossed over like your book got published. Finding a publisher, as I understand, tricky. Yeah. So just finding finding an editor, finding an agent, yeah. finding a publisher, um, all of those things are really scary. And I, I was lucky to find a great editor out of Berkeley, um, a guy, Alan Rinsler, who used to work for Rolling Stone magazine. He worked with Andy Warhol and Hunter S. Thompson. And he actually was the editor on Toni Morrison's first cool novel. And I, 
I found him online and I judge everyone by their website, which yeah. is, I think, the marketer in me. And I was like, that okay, he matters. actually has a legitimate website. Like yeah. every other editor had a terrible website. What is up with people having bad websites? <laughs> I think about this too. If you have a bad website, call me. I can help you make it better. Great. Uh, <laughs> little plug. Um, but I, I reached out to him and I gave him the synopsis and like the first, I think, 25 pages or something. And I mean, the book was a mess. It was like, I think it was over 120,000 words. It was just like, I, the first part of it was really polished, but the last part, I just like, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. And yeah. And and I just like, I need somebody else in here with me. Um, and so I reached out to him and he wrote back right away and said, this is fascinating. This seems like a really important novel, especially given the time. Um, I, I would love to work with you on it. And, um, did that feel like, had had you felt like kind of seen and appreciated like that like before? No. How no, did that yeah. feel? I mean, because as you're saying that, I like am empathizing and thinking like, that's huge. Yeah, like, I remember where I was, and and I mean, we my husband and I we were in South Carolina for a wedding, and um, I got that email. We were I don't think we weren't married yet actually, and. Um, and I saw the email and I just started bawling. Yeah. And he was like, sure he thought like, someone died. He was yeah. like, what, who is it? What happened? Because oh like, <laughs> it was the first time that yeah. my work had been validated, that yeah. I had been validated as a and writer. you probably totally primed for rejection. Like, oh, absolutely. Ready. And then to have someone be like, I get it. I, yeah. I get, I get you and I get this. I mean, that's like, like I'm having feelings <laughs> just hearing you tell that story. So I think that, I mean, that's huge, right? Yeah. Um, did, had you had like rejections of the book before that or was he kind of the first person you reached out to? He was the first like high profile person that I reached out to. I had other people who were interested, but then it was always like, okay, it's going to be this amount of money. Yeah. And you're like, and to me, it just felt like, you know, like a business deal. Like it's like, okay, this is, this is how they make their money and they just want the fee gross feeling. I have also felt that. Yeah. And they don't actually believe in what the story is about. Mm And truthfully, the editor that I hired, he was actually the most expensive editor, but I knew that he was going to be the he best. And he also believed, he understood what I was trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, and so then he also provided, um, introductions with agents and, yeah. and all of that. But, um, I, so I don't know if you know this, but my book is actually self-published. Okay. So I created my own publishing company. Okay. I, Alan gave me four agents. I queried all four of them two of them never wrote me back and two of them said, um, this is interesting, but not right for us. Okay. And usually you're supposed to queer. I mean, I don't know how many agents is a good number, but well, I interviewed Johnny Worthen a couple of weeks ago. Who's like, he's the president of, um, the Utah league of writers. Okay. And he said that like, he, he sent out five, what did he say? Like five inquiries a day. Um, and he said he would send out five at a time because five was the maximum rejections he could like hold oh, at one time. Yeah. But he said as soon as he got a rejection, he would send another, like another one. Yeah. And there is this interesting, um, you know, it's supposed to be like industry courtesy or whatever it is where you're supposed to query like only so many agents at a time and you're supposed mm-hmm. to give them like, I think it's like two to three months to respond, which is insane. <laughs> Too long. And for me... Where, you know, it's funny in retrospect now, I mean, I wouldn't do it any differently, but in, in retrospect, it's like, you know, like mass surveillance is still timely. <laughs> like yeah. for me, I yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. I have to publish it this year or else it's not going to be relevant. Um, and so after querying the four, I just decided, you know what I have, I have to do it. I have marketing experience. Like, I feel like yeah. that's 
why writers go to their publishers and then their yeah. publishers end up usually not doing very much marketing yeah, on their like, behalf I anyway. Can do this. Yeah. And so I, I found an, an incredible graphic designer to design the cover. I built a website. I, you know, registered the company, um, Corner yeah. Canyon Press. I did the whole thing. And it's funny, I still get queries from writers who are like, hey, can you publish my book? Yeah. Um, which, you know, if I had more time, I would actually lean into that. Yeah. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to create my own platform and I'm just going to get it out there. And so I think I worked with like five different companies now. I think some of them have consolidated. But the point was I wanted my book to be available everywhere. I wanted you to be able to find it in a library. I wanted you to be able to find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever, um, iPad, you know. And yeah. so I worked with all of the different companies yeah. and arms Distributing. to, to yeah. distribute it. And um, I actually had a little hiccup where I didn't realize that if I uploaded it to Amazon, it was going to immediately publish. I thought you could like upload it and then like and let then it wait, sit there yeah. and then like choose your publishing yeah. date. So I had this whole social media campaign built and all this stuff and I uploaded it to Amazon. And oh, then that stuff is so like, I got an email that I had had a sale and I was like, how is that even possible? It's not even available yet. And then I went online and I thought, oh no, it, it oh, published no. a month before it was supposed to. <laughs> And so, which is tricky too, because there are all these things, you know, all these campaigns yeah. that I built around the Press, algorithm, yeah. because mm -hmm. if you sell so many within the first 24 hours, Amazon bumps you. And so yeah. all of that stuff like oh, fell no. to the wayside yeah. and was kind of squandered. But, um, that's so scrappy though. Like doing all that stuff by yourself. I mean, again, that would keep so many people from doing a thing. Yeah. Like you said a lot before, of work. Like get started. <laughs> You know, and it's that, that's why, like, I like to ask about this stuff because it's not, it's not the stuff that's like, it's not where the success story is, but like all those things that you did, you did. Yeah. No one was like, here, Celeste, do these things. Mm -hmm. You were like, I have to do these things. Like, even just generating those ideas of like your list of stuff you need to do is such hard work. And then, like, the logistics of figuring it out like the barrier to entry for like these things that we're doing, it's that stuff. Yeah. It's not like this gift. It's not like, well, and there are ways to figure it out. You know, it's yeah. easier than people think it, it feels like massive, but once you actually, I mean, Google is amazing, <laughs> you Google know, get is, online and just yeah. start learning and figure out. And it's funny. Cause you know, I was actually really embarrassed to tell people that I was self-published. I remember going to that Elizabeth Gilbert um, conference. I brought a book with me because that worked out well for me that yeah. one time at Sundance. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have it. And so, you know, when somebody said, oh, well, what have you written? And then I hand them the book. The first thing they did, and these yeah. are writers, other yeah. creatives, right? The first thing they did was flip to the spine to look at the insignia to see who published yeah. it. And it's like they didn't even read this, you know, the excerpt on the back or even look at the title. It was yeah. always like, well, who published you? And it was so yeah. funny because one of them was like, oh, I've heard of these guys. And I was like, <laughs> you're like, you, you have? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you like that logo? Oh my gosh. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, do, how, how do you deal with that? Like artist to artist? Okay. So I, I want to like, I want to ask that question, but when you were talking about like meeting Allison mm -hmm. in New York and having that like soul to soul moment. Um, I'm curious about like both of those questions together. Like how do you be a person that's like open to that soul to soul, like artist, like we need to collaborate. I feel something with you. And then like that kind of awareness that like a lot of artists will look at that spot, you know? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I think it was just, um, I think being open. So again, showing up 
I feel like I've said that a bunch of times. I'm sorry. Well, to it's the theme. I mean, I, I, I'm here with you. But yeah, showing, it's funny because Allison and, you know, I'll, I'll send this to her when it goes live and she'll probably laugh. But she told me that she met me and she like wanted to hate me, actually. Yeah. And, and then I offered yeah. her a, a bottle of water and she's like, oh, damn it. She's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just being kind to yeah. one another. And then yeah. I think it's pretty quick. You can quickly tell like yeah. what somebody's about. Yeah. You know, and if somebody's like really just jazz to be a creative and to create and to work together yeah. like I think that that makes itself apparent pretty mm -hmm. quickly and Allison and I were both that way and we also saw like this will be really fun you yeah. know and we wanted to have fun yeah <laughs> so um yeah she never you know I don't think she was like looking for my accolades and it wasn't yeah. like oh I'm gonna you know hitch my wagon to this sure. horse well, you know I didn't mean that I think I just mean like when you have enough experiences of people doing that thing where they look at the spine of your yeah. book. Like, I mean, oh, I guess just it's to just put that, yourself out there. Yeah. And like, I, I don't mean with her. I just mean like the fact that both of these things are true, that you have this experience frequently where people are like skeptical. Yeah. I, so I like, think I got over that. And like I said, I was embarrassed to basically I don't want to identify as a self-publisher or I never, I didn't want to before, but now I'm like, you know what? I built a publishing company. Like, yeah. it's not like, you know, like I went, I, I did a, did it a certain way. I went mm. about it a certain way and mm. held myself to a certain standard. And yeah. it's funny because now like meeting, um, Jim Cummings, you know, like, you know, he, he self-distributed his film and yeah. all of that. And he actually takes like immense pride in that. And so it's kind of empowering. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you know what? Like no one is like holding my hand. I'm going to figure this out myself. Mm. And with the book, you know, for a while I said, Oh yeah, I maybe pulled the trigger too soon and I should have queried more agents. And I, I, I believed in the book. So I should have like waited for a publisher. I'm glad that I didn't because yeah. if I, if I had waited, um, I wouldn't have had that interaction during Sundance. I wouldn't have even realized that screenwriting was a possibility. Yeah. And then, you know, once I started screenwriting, I wouldn't have realized that being a filmmaker, a director was a possibility. Yeah. And so yeah. it's kind of, it's just doing Hindsight these things. And, so yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also think, do, do you feel like, as artists, we kind of like, or maybe even just as a culture, there are like certain things that we, I, I've talked about this with a few people, like the idea of the starving artist or like the artist who's like, you know, bleeding herself dry in order to like, you know, and for you to kind of take this other route, like, I think it sometimes it threatens people. Do you ever feel like, like, do you have thoughts about like this thing of like how you're supposed to do it versus like, this is how I'm doing it. Yeah, I, I definitely have had that in the past. And that's just like an insecurity that I've had to get over. And I, I've realized that everyone has their own journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's never too late. Like you're never too old. You're never too, too poor or too yeah. wealthy. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's yes, like I you know have to, yeah. you have to chart your own uh, or own path. Um, but I get what you're saying. Cause I've had that, you know, like being part of a collective and, and where, you know, I'm one of the older people in yeah. the room at, at, at 31. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know, trying to be of service to others, but then also trying to be really, um, humble and, and to, to be honest with people that like, I don't really know what I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm yeah. doing. Um, I'm yeah. all the time, yeah. you know, but I, but I know that I can figure it out. Yeah. And so, that's there the thing is, is a path. Yeah. Like it's that growth mindset thing too of like, 
there is something. Well, there entrusting is. myself to knowing that I'm a capable person and that I will figure it out. You yeah. know, I figured it out with publishing. I'm figuring it out with filmmaking. Yeah. And 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 just not being afraid to to go forward. Yeah. Um, or, or like reframing that. I mean, like I I can I can understand like a, a you know some level of discomfort with like saying that you're self published. Like I I I know enough about that to see why that can be tricky but on the other hand like you said you started a publishing company and now that's a thing that you have in your back pocket like if there's a if there's a lull at some point like you could publish you know it's just like this is just another like card in my deck like this is just another thing I like it doesn't have to be part of that narrative right you know it can be like a different branch like this is part of my hustle Um, it's not, it doesn't mean anything about my creativity. I wrote this book. The book is the book. The publishing company is like a separate thing. You know, I, I think we, I, it's helpful for me to like give myself permission to reframe stuff like that. I, that was something I had to overcome too with, with marketing the book. Cause what I learned was that, yeah, I like marketing, but marketing yourself is a lot harder. Yeah. Um, and so I realized pretty quickly, okay, Celeste, you're not marketing yourself. You're marketing your book, be in service of the art, be in service of the story. Yeah. And so once I was able to kind of distance myself in that way, um, it was, it, it was really empowering and it allowed me to kind of get over, you know, sometimes like marketing yourself, it just feels gross. Yeah, totally. Um, and so it was, I was talking much more about the story and like with this, with film, the, the film with Cradle Song, it's been such a collaborative thing. I mean, I wrote it and produced it and directed it, but I was so fortunate in finding an incredible cast and crew yeah. who really made it their own too and brought so much of themselves to the work. Yeah. Um, and that's how I want to make art going yeah. forward. Um, Focusing on the art. Yeah. It, this should be a no brainer. It's so hard. It, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm worried I missed some important things. So you, you're, you're working on vanish with um, Allison mm-hmm. and then I feel like you said a couple of other things. So like what, what, what were the other? Yeah. So cradle song is, is the first short film that I wrote um, and produced and directed and we shot it in May and we're in post-production okay. now. Great. And, um, it's, and it's your story. It's my story. Yeah. It's about a sleep deprived new mother who struggles to maintain her sanity when strange occurrences lead her to believe that her uh, dead father is visiting her infant son. Okay. And so, as I mentioned, uh, the producer that I met during That's Sundance. That's Jim Cummings. I'm um, no. sorry. No, his name's okay. Gary. The Passage yeah, I'm, Pictures. I'm con- uh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm making connections where they aren't. Okay, great. So he, this producer that I met during Sundance who wanted to option my novel. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, this was. Th- you sent him the short story. That's Cradle Song. No, that no. was the feed. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cradle Song's a new one. Another Cr- one, Cradle but Song same is guy. a short. Yeah. Okay. So the the way those two are connected is basically it. What happened with the feed? So when I started, when I basically became a screenwriter, I became a screenwriter two weeks after I gave birth. Yeah. Two weeks after I became a mother, yeah. I realized, okay, I'm a screenwriter That's now. Awesome. I'm writing yeah. a feature length film, and what people tell new mothers is sleep when the baby sleeps. But when the baby was sleeping, I was writing. Yeah. And so what quickly happened was I became very severely sleep deprived. Yeah. And these strange things started happening in my home and I couldn't make sense of them. And my son shares a birthday with, with my um, father-in-law who's deceased. And I had this weird Mm -hmm. sense that 
his name is John, that John was visiting my son. Yeah. And that didn't really freak me out. What freaked me out was that I could think that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Okay. So yeah. just that I was like losing a, a handle on, on my own yeah. reality. Yeah. Um, and so in December, this past December, I decided to write that story. Yeah. And that is Cradle Song. Okay. Um, and of course, like I, you know, it's based off of what happened to me, but I obviously took it to. Sure. Yeah. Of course. New extremes and yeah. heights. And, um, and it was brought to life by an incredible actress, Ash Santos. Uh, she played the lead, Mira. And, um, and Brandon Ray Olive played yeah. Andy and I believe okay. you had him on your yes. show. Um, yeah. and so that was an incredible experience. Um, and just, I was really emotional. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Those three days of filming, we yeah. actually wrapped on mother's day, which was, which kind of felt symbolic too. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, it was just, it was, inc- it was a lot. Like yeah, talk about sleep deprivation. Yeah. Like making a film, like you will be sleep deprived. And, and was that your first like onset experience? <laughs> that was, th- yeah. So my first onset experience was actually Jim Cummings, the director that I met. Um, okay, and that was on his uh, feature Werewolf, which was shot up in Camas. And Utah. what was your involvement with that? I just did a set visit one day. Okay, yeah. Okay. Like I had so you no had role. met him, and now maybe you're collaborating. You're collaborating on something with him now. Oh, I wish. Oh, okay. No, okay. he's just he's just inspired me. Yeah. Okay. So you met him. You were on set. And then like you're directing, you're, you directed Cradle Song. Yes. Right. Uh, what was that like in terms of, again, like kind of your identity, your confidence, like how did you do that? How did you step into all of that? It was really cathartic because it was taking a story and something, an experience that happened to me and then finding the right people yeah. to trust with it. And, um, and I was really, really fortunate to find incredible people. Yeah. Um, my cinematographer was amazing. And you know, it was, it was funny. Our first meeting, he said to me, you know, like I found him on Instagram, actually. Cool. And he said, um, you know, like I haven't done a narrative like film before. This will be my first one. Yeah. And um, I said, I don't care. Like, yeah. I love your style. Like your and work. yeah. And he had some very like personal ties to the material as well. Yeah. Things that had happened to him. And then, and actually I did a rehearsal and I went around the room and I had all of my actors and my assistant director and my director of photography, um, tell, tell each other the stories that they had all told me about their personal ties to the material. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a really honest story yeah. and it's not, it's a different depiction of new parenthood. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, it's not a popular depiction of new yeah. parenthood. Um, I would say that, I don't know if you saw Tully with, I didn't. Okay. So, uh, Charlize Theron, um, yeah. that is probably like the closest thing I could, I could compare it to. Totally. No, I haven't. I'm like, I'm thinking of, I'm it's thinking a very of raw, real depiction of motherhood. Um, it sounds so familiar, but I don't think I've seen it. Yeah. I, and also I don't have kids. So, but I do have a narcissistic mother. So <laughs> I also am down for stories about parenthood that are, that are not the sweet ones. Yeah. Um, anyway, so you, you had them all tell their stories. Mm-hmm. And I, it just, again, going back to vulnerability, like we were all vulnerable with each other and um, it just, it lent itself to like true magic um, that happened on set in between all of us. And it was a really cool experience because, you know, I, again, had never made a film before and I realized yeah. like, wow, you're, you become like family. I mean, it sounds cliche, but for, you know, three days or for yeah. a month or however long you're shooting, you together all you're the time. together all the time yeah. and, and you're seeing each Certainly other. Certainly it's the same as theater. 
or like yeah. being in a band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I had a really positive experience with that. And I realized like, this is how I want to define myself as a storyteller and a director. And this is the kind of community I want to build around each of these productions. Sounds like you really like are good at trusting kind of your gut about people and about like the choices that you're making. That's really powerful. And I don't think it's that common. Yeah, there's definitely, I feel, um, there, I feel very intuitive. Um, and I don't really know how you stretch or strengthen that muscle. Um, but I think, I think just in trust, yeah, trusting it. And so I see these little, I call them like, you know, breadcrumbs, like from the universe, like little signs that you're on the path and you just like follow them and, and you don't exactly know why or where they'll lead, but it's, it's worked out well for me and, you know, knock on wood, I hope that it continues to. So Cradle Song is in post-production, is that right? Yes. Okay, great. When's it coming out or do you know? Um, I have a hard deadline of July 10th. So, so soon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very soon. Um, and, and the deadline really is only because I want to submit to uh, festivals and stuff. Festivals and, and yeah, there's a, a program. Uh, Tribeca and Chanel have partnered on called Through Her Lens and it's for female okay. filmmakers. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. And then did you say there were a couple of other, you're working on a feature length film too? Yeah. So that's Vanish. Okay. And that okay. one we, we wrote and what we're basically what we're doing now is what I'm doing now um, is I'm, I'm making a couple short films to really cut my teeth as yeah. a director and filmmaker and yes. learn the craft. And um, I'm kind of doing it as a proof of concept. So what I realized about being a writer and then a screenwriter and a filmmaker is, you know, you, as a writer, you spend all of this time like building this world and these characters mm-hmm. and, you know, going back to like the business side of things, like why wouldn't you write the novel, then write the adaptation? Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. like yeah. leverage yeah. that. And, and I don't want to say like, leverage get feels more bad, mileage but out of your story or something. That, Is that but, what you mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, going back to being in service of your story, being in service of the art, like giving mm-hmm. it the best chance possible. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm doing now with short films. I had, when I was on, um, the set of werewolf, I, I met a man who was interested in, you know, he said, send me cradle song when it's done. Cause it would be a great feature. And I realized, okay, yeah, yeah. Like I can develop this short film and make that a feature length film. Okay, yeah. And, um, and that's kind of what Allison and I are doing too with vanish. We've, okay. we've taken basically the feeling and the aesthetic yeah. of it. And we've created a short film that we're going Little to film essence. in August. Okay. Awesome. Are there any other like projects that you want to talk about? before we maybe just talk a little bit more about art um, identities. I have a novel that I went to New York for um, okay. that I've been writing that I want to get back to, but I haven't touched it in a year because I'm busy. It's not because you're selling e-cigarettes. <laughs> it's because you're busy making art. That's great. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. What else do we, well, is there anything else you definitely want to talk about? I have like questions, but we can also just, I mean, do you want to talk about like how you make money? Like, or how you kind of like, I'm open to whatever you want to talk about. I, um, so as I mentioned, I'm a marketing consultant and a ghostwriter and I, what I've done is basically spent a lot of time around, I don't want to say I have a brand, but basically becoming, so backing up when I, my first marketing job, I was an SEO copywriter. And at the time, what so SEO stands for search engine optimization. Okay. And basically, when you type something in Google, SEO is what is what Makes means you rank. Be seen. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so at the time, it was like keyword stuffing. You're just like throwing 
random keywords in, but now it's like, okay, is it useful content? You know, it's actually the algorithms have been adjusted and, yeah. and, and now it's like, okay, is this going to be helpful to a human audience? Yeah. And um, so having that knowledge of SEO, I basically, you know, worked on my LinkedIn profile, my mm. social, I'm, I'm not really great with social media, to be honest, but I'm, I'm trying to be better. Um, but then I built my own website and, um, and I have a, a couple different websites. I love websites, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and so I started ranking for things and I actually found one of my best and favorite clients because I showed up on LinkedIn. Like he, mm. he founded, um, a consumer privacy company and then he was literally looking for, you know, technology, privacy storyteller it was some like yeah. obscured ling- like, long tail term and I showed up yeah and, and and then we found out we actually lived in like the same neighborhood which was really weird that's so funny um that's that that's one of those breadcrumb things yeah like I I've had times in my life where I feel really plugged into that kind of thing I think I think at this current moment in time, I personally am coming off of like some really exhausting years. My mom had cancer. I was teaching at BYU, which was a dark, dark, sad time for me. Um, and I feel like I have a little bit personally like lost, which is one of the reasons I started this project. Cause I feel like I need to just be, I need to talk to more people who are yeah. like in, in the, you know, who are in that flow. Um, but I, I know what you mean. I've, I've experienced that before where like you really are, you can really trust your kind of instincts with how things kind of just come to you. Yeah. That's pretty powerful stuff. I I like what Liz Gilbert says about kind of being a channel, right? And it's not, which is great because then you can kind of separate yourself from the idea and you say, if this is a great success, it's not because of me. This idea is knocking on my door. Yes. Yeah. And and that absolutely happens. About that too. Yeah. That's great. Um, where were we? I totally interrupted you. You were talking about, oh, oh, you were talking about money. Yeah. So I found a client or the client found me this was, um, four years ago. And so I've worked really closely. I worked really closely with that company for several years. And then I took some time off when I had my son and then filmmaking kind of happened. And, um, but yeah, so I more recently I started ghostwriting for him again. And, um, and I've just found it's like word of mouth, you know, um, that's been the most powerful tool. So I think, you know, maintaining some sort of online presence, like being fine, like discoverable. Right. Um, and then, you know, allowing your work to speak for yourself. And, and so I've, I've, I've kept those connections and that's allowed me to continue to do creative work in those like dry times. Well, and I think it's significant too, that your money-making work, it's still in the same family. Um, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about like art versus craft, Um, like the art being like, this stuff that's like coming from your soul or like it feels like those ideas that are knocking on your door. And then craft is like just kind of maybe these rough skills. So like certainly your marketing experience is, is, is able to contribute to like how you're working on releasing your art projects. Um, and then like if, as you're ghostwriting, that's still writing. Yeah. It's still craft. It's like, it's building up like the same, you know, foundation. Yeah. You're definitely sharpening your tools. It's yeah. expression. Yeah. So you're just, you're expressing different ideas, but yeah. Do you feel like you need boundaries between like those things? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really want to, I don't take on jobs just to take on jobs anymore, you know, yeah. and, and that's a, a place you have to work to. Um, but what's great about, you know, I was speaking with, with this client the other day. Um, he's like, this probably isn't like what you're like, you know, your soul is hungry for, like you're passionate about. And I yeah. said, you know, you're right. It's not, it's, this isn't the thing that I like wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, but I like you as a person and yeah. I like what you're building and I like the mission of your company. And yeah. so if I can align myself with you and with your organization, like I still believe in it. Yeah. It's um, not taking anything away. Yeah. It's not e-cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like enough about like the hustle. Like you have a sustainable model, which is like, you know, you balance, you, you balance like over time. Yeah. Well, and I, too, what I haven't said is that I have a tremendous partner, you know, and my husband has been incredibly supportive of, of my art. And so I think that's really important as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have a three-year-old son and which is insane. It's just like madness all the time. Yeah. And the way I'm able to consult and to make art and to be a good mother is because like I have a great partner. You're co-parent. You're like truly co-parenting. Yeah. That's, do you want to talk about that? Like, I mean, as in, maybe in, in terms of like advice or like what, like that true kind of like balance means to you? Yeah. I don't think balance exists. I think yeah. it's harmony. And so I think it's, you know, figuring out what takes precedence or what's the priority that day and like mm -hmm. giving yourself fully to that mm -hmm. thing. Um, and you know, some days it works out and some days it doesn't, you know, some days like I'm like right in the middle of flow on a project and then, you know, my son's school calls and says he has a yeah. fever, you need to come get him. Yeah. And you know, like that is the arrangement that my husband and I have is yeah. like, I'm lead parent yeah, is what we call it. Yeah. And so I'm the one who usually goes unless it's like, you know, I'm meeting with, like I had, actually it was during rehearsal for Cradle Song and my son had a fever. It was like the worst possible time yeah. because I had all these actors with me and there was just no way that I could leave. And my yeah. husband was great and left his yeah. job to go, to go get our son. So it's, yeah, it's like, it's finding harmony. Yeah. Um, and I was actually talking with Amy Redford um, a couple weeks ago and she said when she got started as a director, she had, a th I think, a 13-month-old and yeah. was like breastfeeding and all of that and had like orchestrated this great plan so that she could, you know, feed her daughter in the morning and have her assistant bring her to her at lunch. And like yeah. she like scheduled it all and and brought it to one of her mentors and who was a woman. And, and the woman said, oh, yeah, that's a great plan if you yeah. want to be a really shitty mother and a shitty director. Yeah. And she was like, mm -hmm. oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so she realized like, okay, I need to focus on this. I need to yeah. be the greatest director that I can be so that I, when we're done, I can go home and yeah. be the best so mother possible. So you always feel like torn. Yes. Yeah. And resentful. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a real, that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've had a, I've had a lot of people sit in this chair and like talk about like, choices that they made or didn't make based on their kids. And I, I really like what the things you're saying. Like, I, I feel like I don't have children, but I feel like if I did, I would want to, I would strive for something like that. Oh, it's like, thank you. like That's a, kind. like a, cause I think you're right. Like balance. I totally agree. Like balance isn't real. Um, you achieve balance over a lifetime, right. not in a day. Um, and having like, again, it's that same thing of like trusting your gut of like, 
this is the thing that needs my focus today and kind of believing that like it will shake out in a way that like whoever and whatever needs the best of you that day is going to get it. Yeah. And sometimes you can have like this like crossover. Like I remember, um, you know, my son will be three in July. And so back in May, a couple months ago, um, or a month ago, um, it seems like it was a few months ago. (laughs) I agree. May. Yeah. What? Summer now? It's only June. (laughs) Um, so I, I had, I had to clean up, we called it the movie house. It's where it was this adorable house in sugar house where we were fortunate enough to shoot. And we had to be, we wrapped on uh, Sunday morning, mother's day and literally had all, everything had to be out by Monday. And so I, you know, I had my son, he didn't have school or maybe he was sick or something, or I think actually I just missed him a lot because I had been yeah. gone for three days and Um, you know, when I came home, he was sleeping and, and so I brought him to the movie house with me and he was my little helper and he loved that. And it was so cute because he was like talking about, he, you know, overheard that I needed to get a pickup scene and he's like, so is the movie done yet? Like you still need the bathtub scene? Like, (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, he, yeah, he, he really delighted in my delight. You know, yes. I feel like, cause I, I hear moms talk about, or like people who want to be moms talk about like, Oh, I need to be there for my kids. And I like, again, I don't have kids, so I have no authority. I have been a child. So, but I, I feel like I wanted so badly to watch my mom be like, like, I would have loved that. I would have been like, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. Like, I wish that my mom would have like, been more passionate about things. Yeah. And I, I really, I believe in that story. Well, if you, so if you give yourself that permission, right, you're giving your children the permission to follow their passion. Absolutely. It makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Like watching your mom, like love something she does. doesn't mean she loves you less. It's like, I love my life so much. You can too. Like that just seems, it seems like such a no brainer to me, but I think it's something that at least a lot of women that I talk to, like don't quite feel. Yeah. Which, well, there's a lot of guilt, you know, and and societal expectations. And, um, you know, I have a lot of people say to me, so like, who's with your son right now? It's like his father. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when I was in New York for the writing conference, um, his, his dad, the other parent, the parent. Yeah. (laughs) He's not babysitting. He's parenting. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the, like the last thing I usually like to talk about, and we've, we've talked about it a little bit. It's just like, um, like this idea of like artifice, like what is authentic? What is artificial? And like, I know that word artificial is so like dirty, but like it also like is boundaries and it also is like mental health, you know, it can be a lot of things. So like, do you have thoughts about like who, I mean, we're talking about it already, but like who you are as an artist, how much of you goes in your work, um, how you think about yourself, how you deal with imposter syndrome, just anything else kind of in that realm of like, who am I, who is what I do that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I think that I I am okay with being flexible on who I am. And that sounds really bad, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, like, I know who I am today is not who I'm going to be in five years, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. I think because I, I do a lot of, like, reflection, like, 
I'm already doing the thing that the 25 and 26 year old me Mm -hmm. really wanted me to do. So like I should be grateful, right? Like I need, I need to practice gratitude and remember that. And so whenever I'm writing and I'm like really blocked or just feeling inadequate, I have to check in with myself and say, you're already doing it. Like you're, you're on the path and you're doing exactly what, you know, five years ago you only hoped was possible. And then I, you know, go the other way and I look at like, okay, who am I going to be in five years or in 10 years? And I, and I try to live almost in accordance with who that version of self is going to be. And it's, it's kind of, it allows me to, um, to take bigger risks or to trust myself more or to just be open to like whatever happens. Um, and so in terms of like what I put into my work, it's funny because the first two things that I wrote, which were the novel and then the first feature length, the yeah. feed, both of those deal in technology. And I'm, I don't identify as a technologist. It was just like these, those were themes that were yeah. interesting to me and something I wanted to explore. But like, obviously with Cradle Song, that's much more personal. And what I've realized is, you know, my passion is telling, telling true stories and telling women's stories that, yeah. um, that are not, um, necessarily celebrated or that like society feels is not okay to talk about. So like mm-hmm. the, the, maybe I don't want to say the darker aspects of womanhood, but the, the things realer. that like, yeah. yeah, like I want to be authentic yeah. in who I am and in my art. And, but I also don't want to be limiting. I don't want to say, well, this is who yeah. I am and this is how all of my art has to be. Absolutely. I feel so strongly the same way. Like I'm obsessed with lately with like the idea of like masks and how like, you know, sometimes the, the more authentic thing requires taking off a mask and sometimes the more authentic thing requires putting it on yes which is I think what you're saying with like you know like this may be this idea of like fake it till you make it is kind of like a little cheap but like trying on a confidence that's like a little bit artificial but that like you're gonna grow into like Mm -hmm. it's only artificial today exactly um which I, I feel so strongly about those ideas and also like the person that you are, of course it changes from day to day. And that doesn't make you like fake. It just makes you like full of depth and multifaceted and like, you know, like certain versions of yourself just aren't going to be there on some days. Yeah. Which is just like, I think everybody's like that. Absolutely. Um, I think anyone who says otherwise is lying or just like totally ignorant. Yeah. And then also like that's, you know, that that same idea of like looking at a picture of yourself when you're three and being like, that's me. Like, in what way is that you? Yeah. um, There's that interesting, is it Heraclitus, the ship? Um, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, um, Thaddeus's ship. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, like the fact that like all your cells have turned over and really you actually aren't who you were, you know, like physically speaking, like your memories are like subject to all kinds of deterioration and invention. Um, yeah. And then thinking like, well, why is the like present day me more me than the 31 years from now me mm-hmm. and like I know just being like kind of creative about those ideas and like open again um I I totally feel the same way like who am I like who am I today who am I next week who was I last week yeah but maybe like finding your footing in like what are the what is like your goal or like what are the principles and values that you kind of like check back in with 
which it sounds like, you know, some of that for you is like telling these stories about women that are like, not what we've been hearing enough of. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, about art, about creativity, like anything we've missed or just anything that's been like on your mind lately, troubling you? Well, what, what we're talking about right now actually is that's actually what the novel is about. This is my second novel and like these various selves and which one is the truest Mm -hmm. and is there such a thing as the truest version of self? And I think about it and it's interesting for women, especially I think, because this is something that I really struggled with when I became a wife and especially when I became a mother yeah. because for whatever reason for women, it's like the, we, we come to identify ourselves by the roles we yeah. carry. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, like, you know, Oh, I'm a, I'm a mother or I've, I've gone to these networking events where, you know, usually it's like the, they're like couple networking events and the husband is usually the one who's in some sort of, some sort of like corporate environment and you know he'll be like oh I'm the CFO of blah 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 and then the wife's like oh I'm just a stay-at-home mom yeah um you know and and I like I hate that I was raised by a stay-at-home mom and like that is the hardest and most thankless job there is yeah and so I like to ask people instead of like what do you do like what do you love to do so lately I've been asking people like what are you excited about yeah (laughs) What, what are you excited about these days but yeah go ahead and so I, yeah, I think I, I, I like to view identity as, especially maybe for women as kind of like those Russian dolls, Yeah, you know, you have like the core Matryoshka, Matryoshka dolls. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have like the core of who you are. And then I don't know if that's like the childhood self or what, but there is some sort of core identity, right. And that might be your value system or, you know, defined by certain experiences you've had. Yeah. But then there are all these, like, there's who you were in high school and then there's who you were in college and then there's who you were, like, as a young adult and who you were when you got married and who you yeah. were, you know, when you were a new mother. And, you know, like, all these various roles, um, I don't think they change the core of who you are. They're just different aspects, right? And, yeah. They and force you to... It, they're like filters. Yeah. They, they, they allow different things in your core to, like, come out or come in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, it's, if you, it's like, you know, if you, you're not who you are, like there's a certain group of friends that you're going to be a certain way toward. And then there's who you are with like your, you know, who you collaborate with or your in-laws or your, you know, like your church community or whatever it is, you know? And like, I don't think that means you're, if you're leaning into those identities, I don't think that means you're any less authentic. I think it actually means you're, you're kind of more authentic in that way because you're, yeah, yeah, you're like, Oh, I can contribute to this community in this way. Like, and so you're really leaning into that and um, being your best self in that um, environment. Yeah. Like what, version of myself is going to like be the most productive in this setting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I just wrote an album called masks. So I'm like, also, Oh, I'm I here with you. It. Yeah. It's not out yet. Okay. But I'm here, I'm here with you in this obsession of like, who are we? What are we doing? <laughs> who are we today? What does it mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I couldn't be more interested in these stories lately. Um, Unless there's anything else that you want to say, I'd love to just hear. Um, so I always ask people like, so we'll ask like, where can we find your stuff? Let's do that last. Um, but before that, what's your dream collaboration? Like who, I mean, and you can go big, like, is there a studio you're working with? 
are there dream yeah. people you'd want to cast? I would love to do anything with A24. Like I love A24. Um, I would love, I would love to work with, um, badass women. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I like Sofia Coppola, um, Jodie Foster. I don't know. Yeah. Like I just, I'm like really inspired by these women and, um, I would love to have the opportunity to work with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, eight, eight 24 in terms of studio for sure. Do you feel like you're one of those women? Um, I no. <laughs> Why? I, I, yeah. I feel like I might be on the path. It's like such an know? unfair question to me to ask. I'm asking cause like I'm totally projecting on you. Um, do you feel it's just like an age? Maybe it's just I like think, an age thing. I think there are ways that I can help women. Yeah. Um, and you know, younger women, maybe even older women. Um, cause I think it's just like where you are on the creative journey. It's not necessarily an age thing. I totally agree. Um, so I think there are definitely ways that I can help women, but, um, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't put myself like on par yeah. with those women we, that I just mentioned. Just, yeah. <laughs> I think we just, like, like you said before, like we were talking about at the beginning, there's something like I, I know I have in the past given myself a finish line that I now I'm like, okay, this, we don't need a finish line here. Yeah. This isn't important. And feeling like you need to be like fully formed. It's such an, it's such a, like unfair isn't even the right word. It's like such an, it's, it's like an untenable rule. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that. Like this, um, you want to work with those women that like, do you, I mean, do you feel like you want to work with the women that like inspire you yeah absolutely I think that would be a tremendous honor yes (laughs) (laughs) and also we'd all like to see it I would like to see it Uh, yeah I want to I like surrounding myself with women who just want to lift each other up you know and I want to lift up more women I want to lift up everybody I feel the same way Uh, it's and I feel like some of that is like our it is kind of like that millennial thing you know I think I wonder sometimes if some of it's like it's not just the age, but it's like the, the time in history where we are is like youngish professional women, um, kind of feeling like, okay, what can we do? How can we like create a healthier, like more balanced, more open, like entire world and like our whole, where our platforms live? How can we, how can I make this a space that I want to live in? Yeah. It feels like that to me anyway. Yeah. Create okay. a connection. Where can we find you on the internet? Google. Okay. Celeste Cheney. No, um, <laughs> CelesteCheney.com. Uh, my book's on Amazon. Um, the film, I'm going to be submitting it to film festivals. So hopefully at a film festival near you soon. Great. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm online, Instagram. Okay. Is this a specific Instagram handle or like? Celeste Cheney. Okay. It's all, it's all, yeah. all the same. Yeah. Celeste, thank you so much for coming and talking with me. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Savannah Kiniston. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.